Turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. You want to read at verse 3. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable is water, thou shalt not excel. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look into these critically important words of prophecy spoken thousands of years ago, and yet relevant to us in this very hour. We pray that you might help us to see that today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing in our study of Israel's final words to his sons. And the context of his words is there in verse 1, where he says, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. The context, the setting of Israel's words are the last days. And that phrase is so important because it is uniquely associated with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we have seen in our previous message is that Israel's words are a very detailed prophecy of the last days. They're a very detailed prophecy of the comings, plural, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 8 through 11, we have seen the first coming of the Lord Jesus into the world some 2,000 years ago. We have seen his, uh, the prophecy of his offering of himself to the nation of Israel as their king. And we've seen his suffering and death for our sins on the cross of Calvary. We've seen his coming uh, to the air, the next coming that is on the prophetic calendar of the Lord. He's coming to the air in the words at the end of verse 10. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And we've seen his coming to the earth to exercise judgment as the line of the tribe of Judah. When his hand shall be in the neck of his enemies. And he'll break them in pieces and rule them with a rod of iron. And it's then that Israel's words in verse 10, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, will come to pass concerning the nation of Israel. And so we see the three comings of the Lord Jesus in Israel's prophecy here, way back in Genesis chapter 49. He's coming into the world the first time to take upon himself the judgment of God against our sin, that has already happened. His next coming is his coming to the air when his people, those who have trusted him as their Savior, will be gathered unto him. We'll meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the next prophetic event that we see in Israel's prophecy. And Israel's words here in verse 10, And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. 
as they relate to the church and as they relate to the nation of Israel just got closer to coming to pass. As we saw the surprise attack yesterday on Israel by Hamas. Some of us are old enough to remember this same thing happened 50 years ago in 1973 when Israel was attacked. The attack then was not, it was in the Sinai, as I recall. And we learned after the fact of that attack, it did not go well for Israel for the first few days. They were caught completely by surprise, just as they were yesterday. And it did not go well for the first few days, but then the tide turned and Israel defeated their enemies. And we learned later some years later, that our nuclear forces were put on the highest level. And that is how close the world came to nuclear war between Russia and the United States over Israel. Israel and that part of the world, the Middle East, is the number one indicator of how near The Lord's return is. And his return is near, even at the doors. And the Lord yesterday, in his mercy, haven't heard much out of Israel. We've heard about political turmoil and uh, the, the liberal factions over there trying to get rid of Benjamin Netanyahu as they're trying to get rid of Donald Trump over here. But the military aspect of it has been kind of on the back burner And now it's come to the fore again. That area of the world is a tinderbox, just as God said it would be. And the Lord in his mercy is reminding us of that again so that we can understand that the day of grace is about to end. The time, the opportunity when you can turn to the Lord Jesus and trust him as your Savior, if you're lost, that time is running out. That's why Israel's words here concerning the last days are so relevant. That's why they're so important. Last week, we began to look at the personal message for us that's here. We have to think about the personal message. It's a wonderful thing that the Lord is going to return, but how are we living in the light of that? And the personal message here in these verses is a prophecy about the condition of the people of God in the last days. And this personal message begins with Reuben. Notice again verse 3. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn son, the first fruit of Jacob's loins. And as the firstborn, as the first fruit, Reuben had a very special place because of his uh, his place in Jacob. Reuben had authority in the family. He had preeminence over his brothers. He had a double portion of his father's goods. He had succession in the government of the family. He had the exercise of the priesthood. And what we saw last week is that the position of the firstborn here 
the position of Jacob's first fruit is a picture of the believer's position in Christ. When we trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We are the first fruits unto God. And all of these things that we read about in verse 3 are available to us in Christ. We have his might and his strength, the excellency of his dignity and the excellency of his power. And so as a result, we occupy as believers a place of authority because we have been made kings unto God and his Father. We've received a double portion of our Father's goods because we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He's made us priests unto God and his Father. And so here in Genesis 49 and verse 3, the position that Reuben had in his father is the same position that the believer has in our father, the same position that we have in Christ. And so I believe that what that means is that what is said of Reuben in the context of what will befall him in the last days is a prophecy of what will befall believers, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior in the last days. It's a prophecy of the condition of God's people in the last days. And the first thing that we read about last week and this week concerning Reuben is that he's unstable as water. We talked last week that we don't think about water as being unstable. In fact, we think the opposite. And so the, the, the fact that the Lord would use that word to describe water ought to cause us to stop and think. Water becomes unstable in heat becomes unstable when it gets hot, when it gets to 212 degrees Fahrenheit. It becomes hot enough to change form to a gas. Water becomes unstable as a liquid on the other end of the scale at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, when it becomes cold enough to change form into a solid ice. As the water becomes cold... As the water becomes hot, we have these extremes that cause water to become unstable. This is the language that Israel uses to describe Reuben. And we saw this hot and cold unstableness in Reuben's life last week. The same hot and cold unstableness that will be evident in the lives of God's people in the last days. And that's why it's important to think about these things. God's people in the last days are going to be unstable as water. They'll be hot. They'll be fervent in spirit. That word fervent means to be hot. They'll be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, and then they'll turn right around and be cold. Just as the Lord Jesus said concerning the last days in Matthew 24 and verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. This is the unstableness of believers in the last days. From fervent in spirit, from hot to their love waxing cold. 
And what we see in the lives of individual believers, we see in the church. We see the, the, the heat and the hot of programs and gimmicks and feelings and emotions, but a coldness toward the old-fashioned preaching of the Word of God. And the results are churches that are unstable as water, churches that are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. But this morning we want to come back to something that we only had time uh, to mention in passing last week. And that is that God describes another state of water. A state between hot and cold. A state that isn't hot, a state that isn't cold, a state that is in between. A state that is a, a mixture of hot and cold. It's a state that God calls lukewarm. And it's very important to keep in mind that we only find this word lukewarm one time in our Bible. And that's in Revelation 3 and verse 16. And the Lord uses that word to describe the last church that will exist, that will be in existence just before his come. He comes, the Laodicean church. The church of the last days. A church that will not be hot. A church that will not be cold. But a church that will be unstable as water. A church that will be lukewarm. And I believe that we see this lukewarmness in Reuben's life. And that's what we want to think about this morning. And to see it, we need to remember the plan of God. We need to remember the will of God for Abraham and his seed. His plan for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In Genesis chapter 12, when Abram finally comes into the land of Canaan, God says to him in verse 7, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And God identifies this land specifically. In Genesis 17 and verse 8, he tells Abraham, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. This was God's promise to Abraham. Turn, turn back, if, you, if you'd like, to Genesis chapter 26 for just a minute. Genesis chapter 26, because we want to to see that this promise was not just to Abraham. It was to his seed. Genesis chapter 26 and verse 1. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac, that's who we're reading about here, Abraham's son, went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar, and the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. 
Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. That was God's promise to Isaac. Now turn over to Genesis chapter 28. Isaac has sent Jacob to Rebekah's brother Laban to take a wife. And on the journey, the Lord speaks to Jacob. And he says to him in verse 13, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Notice those words. I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. So here's God's promise to Jacob. And Jacob repeated that promise to his seed. He repeated that promise to Joseph. Look at chapter 48, if you will. Genesis chapter 48 and verse 3. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee. And will make of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. If you look over at Genesis chapter 24, we read Joseph's last words to his brethren. We read his last words to the children of Israel. And notice what he said to them in verse 24. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph so believed what God told him that he said, Don't you leave my bones here in Egypt. When you leave here, you take my bones with you and you bury me in the land that God said belongs to me. Now turn over to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. And notice what God says to Moses in verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. Verse 8. God tells Moses, and I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for inheritance. I am the Lord. 
And so what we learn from these verses is that the land of Canaan is the possession. It is the inheritance of the children of Israel. And it's where God wanted his people. This is where he wanted his people. And this is underscored in our minds in Numbers chapter 14. If you want to to turn over to Numbers chapter 14. When the congregation, you remember they've come to Kadesh Barnea. They've come, they're fixing to go into the land of Canaan. And Moses sends spies in to spy out the land. And they come back. Ten of them had an evil report. We can't take the land. Yes, it's, it is what God says. It, it is. But the giants are there. The sons of Anak are there. So we, we, they're too big for us. We can't do this. The ten brought back the evil report. Two, two brought back a report of faith. Caleb and Joshua. They brought back a report of faith because they believed God. But the people of Israel refused to believe God. And they turned away from the land of Canaan. And they murmured against the Lord and Moses and Aaron. And they came up with an alternative plan. And that was to appoint a captain over them that would lead them back to Egypt. Now look at Numbers chapter 14 and verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against me? I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to you, to swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which he said would, should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. The point of, of all this is that God's plan, God's will for his people was for them to enter into their possession, enter into their inheritance, the land of Canaan that had been given to them and into which they could enter Because of the shedding of the blood of the Passover lamb that had delivered them from the bondage and servitude of Egypt. Now, with all this in mind, turn over to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. As we come to this chapter... Almost 40 years has passed. Nearly all that generation that refused to go into the land of Canaan has died out. And so now it's time 
for the people to go into the land. And notice what we read in verse 1. Now the children of Reuben, the children of Reuben, notice who it is that's listed first. It's the children of Reuben. Now, the children of Gad, the half, half the tribe of Manasseh, they're involved in this. But Reuben is mentioned first. And I take that to mean that, that Reuben is the leader of what we're about to read. Verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, and they list these places in verse 3. And verse 4, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. Bring us not over Jordan. Here is Reuben. Just as Israel said he would be. Unstable as water. God says that the land of Canaan is your possession. It's your inheritance. It's my provision for you. And you can enter into it. Because you believe the message of the Passover lamb. And you took the blood of the Passover lamb. And you applied it to the doorpost. And I delivered you from the bondage and the servitude of Egypt. And what does Reuben say? Verse 5. Bring us not over Jordan. Bring us not over Jordan. And there's something interesting here. If you look back at verse 1. And when they saw the land of Jazer. And the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. Notice the word Saul. Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh. But again, our focus is Reuben. Because I believe he's the leader of this movement. He's the one who Israel said is unstable as water. And he's leading it and he's having this influence on these other tribes. Reuben saw this land in the recent battle. The battle that had taken place back in chapter 21, the battle with Sihon, the king of uh, uh, the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, that Israel had won. And this is when Reuben saw this land. And like um, we read about Achan over in the book of Joshua, Reuben saw this land and he coveted this land and he decided that he was going to have this land. Reuben saw, he left the place of faith. He stopped walking by faith and he began to walk by sight. And he decided that this land on this side of Jordan was a place for cattle. And Canaan wasn't. Canaan wasn't a place for cattle. 
We read concerning Abraham in the land of Canaan that Abram was very rich in cattle. In cattle. He couldn't be very rich in cattle if he was living in a land that was not a place for cattle. In Genesis 26, we read that Isaac, in the land of Canaan, waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. And what was the outward manifestation of his greatness? Genesis 26 and verse 14, For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds. We read that Jacob increased exceedingly and had much cattle. And he had those cattle in the land of Canaan. And he and his sons brought those cattle. When they came from the land of Canaan into Egypt, being um, shepherds, tending cattle, raising cattle had been their trade. And they brought them into the land of Egypt. This was their wealth in the land of Canaan. Canaan was a place for cattle. A far better place than anything on this side of Jordan. And yet here is Reuben, based on what he saw. He hasn't even seen Canaan. He's just seen this little area on this side of Jordan. And he says, bring us not over Jordan. We want to stay here. We want to stay here on this side of Jordan. Reuben has a lukewarm attitude of heart. It's the very attitude of heart of the church of the Laodiceans. The only place where we find this word, lukewarm in the Bible. And I'd like for you, you don't have to, but if you would like to turn over to Revelation chapter 3. We've, we've mentioned this portion in, in the last two messages, and I, I think it, it's good to look at it. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, what's the manifestation of the heart of this lukewarm church? Look at verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 32. Folks, I suggest to you that this is exactly the attitude of heart that Reuben had. I am rich and increased with goods. I am rich and increased with cattle and have need of nothing, including God's provision of the land of Canaan. Bring us not over Jordan. Moses is very displeased with this lukewarm attitude of heart of Reuben. Notice in verse 6 he says, Shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? 
And he tells them in verse 7 that what they are doing will discourage the, uh, the heart. Discourage the heart of the children of Israel. You're discouraging them from going over into the land which the Lord gave to them. This is the effect that lukewarm believers have on their brothers and sisters in Christ around them. And then Moses gives Reuben and these others the very same history that we talked about a few moments ago. Verse 8. Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. And their father that Moses is talking about is a man by the name of Shamua of the tribe of Reuben. He was a ruler and a head of the tribe of Reuben. He was the very first spy that is listed um, to, that, that Moses uh, sent into the land of Canaan to spy it out back in Numbers chapter 14. He would have been one of the ten, perhaps even the leader of the ten that brought back the evil report of the land. And Moses is telling Reuben, here you are again, doing what your fathers did, discouraging the heart of the children of Israel, verse 9, that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. Notice the last words of verse 11 again. Or let's, I'm sorry, let's read um, verse 10. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time. He's talking about back in Numbers chapter 14, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Israel from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. I've underlined and highlighted those words in my Bible. They have not wholly followed me. Here is another view of a lukewarm heart. It's a heart that is not hot. It's a heart that is not cold. It's a heart that does not wholly follow the Lord. The children of Reuben had followed the Lord through the wilderness for the last almost 40 years. But they stopped short. They stopped short of entering into all that the Lord had for them when he brought them out of the bondage of Egypt. This is how God's people will be living in the last days. They will be unstable as water. They will not follow the Lord wholly. They'll come out of the bondage of their sin by the blood of the Lamb. But they'll stop short of entering into the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is a picture it is not a picture of some kind of deeper, mystical Christian life. It is a picture of the normal Christian life. And the way that we enter into Canaan, the way that we enter into and live the normal Christian life is by crossing the Jordan River. The Jordan River speaks to us of death to self. It speaks to us of denying ourselves. And what the Jordan is an illustration of, what it pictures is the, word of the, Lord, the words of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and follow me. 
That's not what it says, is it? That's what lukewarm believers might say. But the Lord Jesus says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Why does the Lord Jesus say, and take up his cross? What's the purpose of the cross that he tells us that we're to take up? It means we're to keep it. The cross that we are to take up is the cross that we are to die on daily. The place where we are to be crucified with Christ and yet live. And it's not us who lives, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The cross that we're to take up is the place where we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our cross that we're to take up is the place that uh, is the place where we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. The cross that we're to take up and down is how we can keep from being conformed to the world. Remember, we talked last week how one of the unstable characteristics of water is conformity it's at home wherever it is it can be shaped like a bottle it can be shaped like a vase it can take the shape of wherever it is and that's a characteristic of unstable believers we're not to be conformed to this world the cross that we're to take up and die on is where our minds can be renewed so that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what Reuben needed to do, folks. To prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, which was to be in the land of Canaan, not pulling up short of it on this side of Jordan. The cross that we're to take up and down is our Jordan River. It's the place of death. It's the entrance into the land of Canaan. It's the entrance into our possession, our inheritance, into all that is available to us in Christ. And we can enter into it because of the blood of the Passover lamb. Christ, our Passover, who was sacrificed for us that we might be delivered from the bondage and servitude of sin. But what Israel's prophecy concerning Reuben is, Reuben is telling us is that in the last days, believers will be unstable as water. They'll have this lukewarm attitude of heart. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, including the place where the Lord wants to bring me. Bring us not over Jordan. Bring us not over Jordan. And believers of the last days will do anything to keep from doing that. And we're going to see that, Lord willing, in the, in the life of Reuben. They will not follow the Lord wholly. They'll follow him to a point. They'll follow him to the brink of the waters of death. And they'll live their Christian life right there. In a place that's good for their life and accommodates their will 
and enhances and accommodates their way. We're not done talking about Reuben and his lukewarmness. Lord willing, we'll talk about him next week. But we don't want to miss Moses' words in verse 14 here. Moses says, Behold, you're risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. Moses tells Reuben, Your lukewarmness is a sin. Not coming over Jordan is a sin. Here you are, standing in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men. And he says in verse 23, the last part of verse 23, and be sure your sin will find you out. Those words are an abiding principle in the word of God. But in the immediate context, they're addressed to Reuben. And his lukewarmness. This attitude of heart that says, bring us not over Jordan anything but that. And Reuben's sin of lukewarmness does find him out. And so will ours. If we're saved, that's why the Lord has brought us here today. To find out our heart. So that we can examine ourselves to see if we have a lukewarm heart. To see if we have this anything but crossing over Jordan. Don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to die to self. Don't ask me to deny myself. Let me just stay right here where I'm comfortable. If we know the Lord today, I hope that we'll be willing to do that, to think about that. If you're lost... We haven't been talking to lost to those who are lost. We've been talking to saved people. But if you're lost, the message of all this is tied into the last days. The last days. They have that name for a reason, folks. They're about to come to an end. And while it is still called today, while it is still the day of salvation, you need to turn to the Lord Jesus from your sin and trust him as your Savior. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the way that every verse, every word applies, has a personal message for our hearts. And we pray that we would be willing to allow you to show us that personal message, to allow you to shine the light of your word in our hearts into the very deepest back corner that we might allow you to expose to us any area of our life where we're not following you wholly, where we're living a lukewarm Christian life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.